This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's another day of Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960. As you just heard, it's Haley Salvian here with you for the next hour. If you're joining me uh, listening live, you would have just heard uh, the awesome Logan Gordon on Sportsnet today. He's not here with me this afternoon. We're giving Logan a break for today. He doesn't have to talk to me for the first five to ten minutes of the show. He can go home, and he deserves it because Logan's great, always doing a good job. On Sportsnet today, the morning show, post game, whatever it is, he's doing the wonderful Logan Gordon. So this was me doing this because every day I log in and I'm listening to the show and he always gives me this really nice shout out at the end of Sportsnet today and then I start my show and just say, all right, hey, what's up, everybody? And I just completely ignore the nice things that Logan's saying because I get really uncomfortable with compliments. Uh... It's mostly when people are mean to me in the text line where I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. You're right. Uh, So don't provide either in the text line, honestly. Let me know in the text line how you're feeling about the flame season, though. We are now officially in the second half of the year. Kicking it off with a 4-3 overtime loss to the St. Louis Blues. We said it yesterday on the show if you were listening live or you were listening on demand because you can listen to the show on demand, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, The St. Louis Blues are depleted. They're not with Ryan O'Reilly, no Vladimir Tarasenko, no Nick Letty, no Bortuzzo. They've got some guys out of the lineup, but they still have some guys up at the top, and that's Robert Thomas, it's Jordan Kairou, it's Pavel Buchnevich, and those are the players that the Flames had a difficult time with last night. The Robert Thomas line was a problem. Uh, And we said yesterday, don't take the Blues lightly. And again, I'm not in the room. I don't know if that's what happened. We can only make our educated guesses on watching this game. I mean, they didn't have a great start. The Blues get the first goal of the game. Obviously, Flames have a much better, you know, second half of the first period. You know, they get up 3-1 to one and then end up losing 4-3 in overtime. OT continues to be a problem for the Calgary Flames. Their OT record is not great. No team in the league has given up more points on the board with overtime losses than the Calgary Flames so far this season. They go to OT a lot, and they're not winning those games. Calgary has a .385 win percentage in one-goal games this season, according to NHL.com. That is 27th out of the 32 teams in the league. So this is not a team that's done well in these one-goal games. And one of the things I want to talk about now, and we can talk about this with Pat Steinberg as well. He's host of Flames Talk, Flames Game Day, warm-ups, our regular weekly guest it's the pat chat coming up soon in the show one of the conversations we had before about these one goal losses was the flames don't have that guy who's going to get them that next goal that's going to take over the game but i think when we're watching last night it they didn't they shouldn't have needed that guy last night it was 3-1 they they didn't need the guy They needed the saves. Like, it should never have gotten to 4-3. We're not going to say that every single goal is on Jacob Markstrom, but I don't think we need to tell him that that wasn't good enough last night. So once again, we're looking at this Flames team, and it feels like a broken record when we talk about games this season, especially these one-goal losses or losses to teams that they should be beating. 
It's, you know, poor goaltending, lack of finish, lack of game-breaking talent to take over the game. It's, we're in this little cycle here. It's getting a little bit stale. <laughs> it sure is for me talking about it all the time. I'm sure it is for you guys at home listening. This is kind of the same thing. Same for you guys at home watching. It's uh, multiple different things going wrong, sometimes all at once, sometimes at different times. That's kind of been what's going on with the Flames so far. Uh, so in overtime last night, Huberto has the turnover cutting to the net, you know, the drop pass. And to be fair, because I've seen a lot of people just really ripping on Huberto, and he shouldn't have done that, you've got to keep moving north. Don't drop it south. Not in overtime. The name of the game in overtime is puck possession, and unless you know for sure your guy's there and you're making a tape-to-tape pass, just don't do that. But at the same time, Rasmus Anderson kind of drifted out of the center where he probably should have been. We heard from Daryl Sutter last night that... No, Rasmus probably wanted to be in the middle there. So that's a consideration as well. But uh, just not a great game from the Calgary Flames. Again, we'll get into more of that with Pat Steinberg when he joins us for the show. Uh, and then coming up later in the show, I'll mention Don Luce-Chishin from The Athletic is going to join us. He is a senior national writer. He's the analytics guru. He's one of my good friends. And he has, because it's you know the halfway point of the NHL season officially now, he's got a new awards watch on the way so we'll kind of take a look around the league who are the players that are establishing themselves at the forefront of the trophy watch and the awards conversations this season uh looking around the league a little bit before we get to pat there was some pretty fun chaotic good games on the nhl schedule last night i tried to watch as many as i could uh the canucks blew a three goal lead in the first period against the Pittsburgh Penguins last night. Penguins come back and win 5-4. to four. There was a great game between the Rangers and the Wild last night as well. New York wins 4-3 in a shootout. And just when everyone's starting to wonder, who are the real New Jersey Devils? I mean, they haven't been playing well as of late. They don't look the same as they did when they had that hot start in the win streak. They beat the Carolina Hurricanes, who's one of the best teams in the league, 5-3. to three. Red Wings get a touchdown against the Jets. Stars win a shootout against the Islanders. Panthers, 5-4 over the Avs. Just a weird schedule last night, but weird and fun. Only four games tonight, no Calgary games. Uh, They'll be back in action on Thursday night against the St. Louis Blues. And with that, let's go to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline because it's time for the Pat Chat. And Pat Steinberg, I have a bone to pick with you. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. What did I do? So I've been told that you are... The funny guy in the group chat sending a bunch of pictures of raccoons. Yes. On the Sportsnet 960 group chat that I am not a part of. Are you well, taking just, the pictures just, I send to you and sending them no, to other people? No, no, no. I get them from uh, I get them from Raccoon Motivation on uh, on Instagram. <laughs> uh, so that's so that's you're sending them. But I'm not the only one who gets these, like, raccoon pictures. You're sending them to other people. Well, I only send topical ones. So, like, if it, if it is sure. something that it's – so I'll go back and take one from four months ago if it relates to what we're talking about. And it's not the Sportsnet 960 group chat. It's just the one I have with, with Taylor and Cam, who I'm trying to relate to them because they have a combined age of about 19. So I'm trying to, I'm trying <laughs> to relate to Gen Z, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it so that – they don't look at me as their grandfather. So I'm, 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 that's, that's why, right, I've, so you're that's saying, why I've really taken to How do you do, fellow I'm, kids? Here's a picture of a raccoon. 
Well, yeah, I try to make it topical, and like, and like, I've I've learned from them that my emoji use is uh, very, very out of date. Like uh, all of the emojis that that I would use with somebody in and around my age, uh, like within a decade of my age, either way, it does, doesn't work for them. So I've had to completely relearn my entire emoji dictionary as well. So it's been it's been a learning process. Right. Let me guess. Do they use a lot of the like face melting emojis or the one where they're like peeking through their fingers, um, you know, the swirly eyes, those kind of emojis? The, Am I right, Cam? The one that I've learned, and, and Cam and Taylor can correct me, but the one that I've learned is that instead of the crying, laughing face, which is a total millennial uh, emoji, you use the skull face if something is really funny. Yeah, uh, you're dead. That, that, one, yeah, that, dead. that one I've really taken to, so I'm, <laughs> starting to, I'm starting to use the skull one instead of the crying, laughing face. Yeah. Yeah, no, you don't use that one anymore. I think we'll always still see you as a a grandfather with your uh, (laughs) memeage. Hey, listen, child, my 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 raccoon, my raccoon memeing, I'm quite proud of. And if I can if I can do the raccoons, then I have uh, at the very least accomplished something. But Taylor, Taylor won't give me credit for anything. Like I've been learning French for three years and she still doesn't believe I can speak French, uh, even though I'm always correct whenever I say something. And then she says, no, that's wrong. And then I go look it up and it ends up being right. Uh, Taylor doesn't give me credit for anything. So I can I can't win with her. Doesn't matter what I do. Yeah, that's tough. That- I've sent some funny memes to the our group chat with Taylor Logan and I. And I think I think Taylor would say that I'm pretty funny. You're funnier than But we're not going to ask her. Yeah, that's all I needed to hear. All right, let's go on to the flames because people are probably thinking, you know, imagine just hopping in your car and hearing us talk about raccoons. That'd be a little strange. That's not what we just did for five minutes. I don't. Let's talk about the flames, Pat. (laughs) Because you don't do that enough. Yeah. It's getting stale. I feel like you host, you talk about the flames way more than I do on a daily basis. How many times have we talked about poor goaltending and a one-goal loss and, oh, thoughts on tonight's loss against a team they should have beat? Like, what gives? It's getting a little bit stale. Is that the right way to talk about this right now? It's just a little bit like Groundhog Day. And then we'll, you know, sprinkle in a couple good wins and everyone's like, ooh, maybe they're turning it around. And then another stinker like last night. I, uh, yeah, I, um turned into kind of the the same story on a regular basis hasn't it like it's they they outshoot an opponent even though even though last night against st louis wasn't dramatic they they outshoot an opponent uh in this case they played a really solid 40 minutes and or, or solid 30 of the first 40 minutes and then they they let it slip because a team that maybe has a little bit more of an ability to finish and a little bit more of an ability to finish and do quick strike stuff with not a lot of with not a lot of opportunities uh, they turned a three one game where the Flames had worked really hard for that three one lead and then next thing you know it's three three and a span of 28 seconds and and on top of that one of the things you know Labardius made this comparison pregame last night before the Blues game he said it's starting to remind him a lot 
of the bubble season. And I think that's a really, really good way of putting it because in that 56 game season, it's not like the flames played poor on a nightly basis. They didn't. And and even once Daryl Sutter took over, it's not like they were playing poor on a, on a regular basis, but when they made mistakes more so than last year, those mistakes ended up in the back of their net. They would seem to be those really egregious version of mistakes and they, it would be a 10 bell chance. And because the goaltending and specifically because Jacob Markstrom has not been anywhere near as strong this year as, as he was for the vast majority of last year, a lot of those are, are going in and a lot of those end up hurting him. So you take a look at the play that happened early in the third period last night. It's a three, one game and then a fairly low percentage shot by Santini Two mistakes happen. Markstrom doesn't control it very well, bobbles it, and as such, kicks it right onto Alexandrov's stick. And Nazem Kadri had perfect body position on him and still let him go. So 50-50, but it ends up in the back of your net. And then, you know, Markstrom, I don't think he saw the second goal, the the second one 28 seconds later, got kind of flashed in front by Rasmus Anderson. Cairo took the shot at the right time. And next thing you know, it's three, three and all that hard work went away. And how many times have you seen something similar like that this year, this team works hard and maybe doesn't get enough for it. And then one mistake and all of a sudden they're white knuckling it again. And then they, then the, the final part of the same old story, or it's getting kind of stale to use your words is they go to overtime and they lose. And not only do they lose, but they lose in the first few seconds on Sunday it was what 62 seconds or 64 seconds of overtime and last night it was 28 seconds or 32 or whatever it ended up being um that they they're having a hard time doing the right things at five on uh, sorry three on three overtime so yeah it felt like uh, it felt like deja vu again last night rinse and repeat and uh, we get to do all do it all over again on Thursday um at what point does this team start to lose a bit of that benefit of the doubt? Like, because it seems like everyone's kind of talking about the Flames, and I feel this way. I'm not talking about, I'm not saying I've already lost that. Like, I look at this Flames team, and I look at them and think they're going to get better in the second half. Like, I still haven't completely abandoned how I felt about this team on paper in the preseason. I think this should work. There's reasons why this team should make the playoffs and, you know, fare better than last year. But at what point do we start to say, okay, maybe we need to reframe our expectation and what we believe this team is capable of? Um, I mean, we're now into the second half of the season. So I think, I think that you, you kind of have to start adjusting expectations a little bit um, in, in this third quarter of the season. Now that's not to suggest that I don't think that they can be a better team and, and win a little bit more because when you take a look at, at where they are and what they've done since the beginning of December, they've been able to rack up points and, and put wins together more often than they had in the first couple of months of the season. So I do think that they have shown some improvement, but what I think we maybe have to adjust, our expectations on is the what what type of hockey they're going to play and how they're going to have success I don't think at any time this team between now and the end of the season is going to start scoring easy I don't think at any time 
we're going to say, oh, this team is is able to score at will, or this team is able to score like Tampa Bay or Toronto or Edmonton or or some of those teams where scoring does come a whole lot easier. I think it's going to be on a regular basis them having to have those high shot volume totals and them having to really grind their way to get the two or three or four goals they need on any given night to win games. Now, what I think that we can see is them getting more and more comfortable with that brand of hockey. I think that was a little bit of an adjustment for a few guys early in the year and not even just the new players, but players from, from last year where, you know what, last year they had a line that carried them and a line that was able to, at times it felt like score at will. And so I think it just it, it didn't feel like as a whole team it was as much of a grind to score goals last season. And for guys who are back this year, like look at Manjapani and how how much of an uphill climb it's been for him to generate offense. Look at all the, the heavy lifting Michael Backlund has done and how long he's gone between scoring goals. And, and, and I think that there are other really good examples of that. It, it hasn't come as easy for Lindholm. So, so I think even the new players, absolutely, and guys who were here last year, I just I think it's becoming more and more apparent to the group that no, what we are is a grinded out, um, hardworking team. That that's how we score our goals. It doesn't happen as sexily off the rush anymore, and it doesn't happen as as um, you know as rapid fire and quick as it did sometimes last year. So I think the more they settle into that the better group that they can be and the more you're comfortable and the more you lean into what you are as a team, as opposed to fighting it, I think that that, that helps them in the second half of the season. Either. So I haven't given up on them being a better team and putting up better records and climbing the standings uh, in some shape or form. Like, I don't know if I see them tracking down number one in the Pacific, but for them to climb into being a Pacific division playoff team in the second half of the season, I don't think that's out of the question if they continue to become more and more comfortable and accept more and more kind of what they are and what their identity is. Right. Right. And I think the perspective here is that the flames are in the first wild card spot. Um, we got to, you know, this isn't a team that's, you know, we're not talking about a Vancouver situation. They're not, they're not six in the wild card. They're the top wild card team. I think it's just, because of the high expectations everyone had after the offseason and, and the players that are coming in. And I think part of it we need to look at, too, is, you know, I've said this before in terms of, you know, Jonathan Huberto, you bring him in and he's kind of the the best replacement you could have for Johnny Gaudreau on the first line left wing. But they do things differently. Jonathan Huberto is not the guy who is speedy and making the plays in transition. He's not the the zone entry wizard that... Johnny Gaudreau is, he's got the passing ability and the playmaking and the vision. So they're different elite point producing wingers when we look at them beside each other last season, at least in terms of the 115 point seasons, they did it very differently. So maybe that's part of it too, is maybe people kind of expected, you know, oh, they'll minimize the damage because they could just swap this player in and out, but it's not quite that simple. Um, all right. So let's move on a little bit here, Pat. I think we're all expecting, and maybe we could be wrong because we have been before when we try to predict what Daryl Sutter's going to do, but I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are expecting we're going to see Dan Vladar on Thursday and potentially a little bit more. Like, are we at another point in the season where what might be best is giving Jacob Markstrom a bit of a break and rolling with, with the number two? 
Well, I don't, I don't know if it, if it necessarily even has to be that. I think, I think you, okay. So we're now more than halfway through the season, and you know how big of a booster I am of Jacob Markstrom's. I think he's a really good goalie. I think he is. I think he has the chops, the track record of being a high-end goalie in this league. He's been in net for playoff series wins. He's now been a Vesna Trophy runner-up. He's been a guy that has shown that 55, 60, 65 starts, he can be a 915-ish goaltender. Like, these are the marks of a good goaltender, but he's clearly having a down year. And while I do think he turned the corner um, in, in, in some form and, and slightly turned the corner in the month of December specifically, even that turning the corner, we were still talking about him being at like a 907 or a 908 over a stretch of time, not talking about him being like a 920 or a 925. And now we're 42 games into Calgary season and Jacob sitting at 893. And so I think now that we're into the second half of the season, you have to start being, I think Jacob long-term big picture, you know, Connor Hellebuck had himself a, a very mediocre average season by his standards last year and look what he's doing this year sometimes you just have a year where a stretch of time sinks your numbers and it's hard to get him back up and I'm starting to wonder if that's what we're falling into when it comes to Markstrom because he had such a subpar first quarter of the season by his standards he's sitting at an 893 and we're more than 42 games into this season it just it's, it's going to be hard for him to get his overall save percentage back to what his career averages are are. And you have a couple of games where he gets pulled against Chicago. I fully endorse them going back to him against St. Louis after getting pulled. Go back to your number one. But I, again, I don't. I don't think that he was necessarily fully to blame on both those goals in the third period. But you probably want to stop on one of them, and you probably don't want one of those to go in. And again, it's. Uh, four-goal night on 27 shots, you probably want your $6 million goaltender to be a little better in that regard. So I'd go to Vladar in the second game against the Blues and then evaluate from there. I don't even know if you necessarily need to plan out the, the next three or four starts. See how Dan plays. And you're in the second half of the season, right? You're in the third quarter of the year, and you're barely hanging on to a playoff spot. I think on points percentage of the number two wildcard team, they're like you've got Nashville, St. Louis, who you play again, Edmonton. You've got all these teams around you that could easily displace you from being in the playoffs. You need wins right now. And, and I think if they're to go on a long playoff run and if they're going to do the things that people talked about in the off season, I think it'll be with Markstrom playing at his best, but right now he's not playing at his best. Again, Vladar we know has given them quality starts. So I, I think you kind of at this stage of the game where points and wins and solidifying your spot is so important. I think you got to go with the guy who in the moment gives you the best chance. And right now, I think that's Vladar. And then you see what happens against St. Louis and you evaluate for Saturday afternoon in Dallas. And, and I don't think you permanently go on a game-by-game -game basis, but I think for the time being, uh, until you, again, get the feel that um, one guy is, is ready to go on a little bit of a run or specifically Jacob has got his game back to a slightly better level, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with going a little bit more game by game for a few weeks here. So I would, I would go to Vladar against the Blues in the second half of this, uh, this two-game set and then kind of evaluate and make your decision for Dallas after that. I made this point yesterday. I had Carolyn Cameron on the show, and she was talking about just how wild the Western Conference has been this year, and there's so many teams who are maybe 
outkicking their coverage from what we thought in the preseason, and then teams who were just wondering, like, when are they going to start to figure it out? And that's Calgary and Edmonton. And obviously you look at the Kings and the and the Kraken, and nobody really expected them to be, you know, the 2-3 in the Pacific when we have teams like Calgary and Edmonton also in that division. But you're right, when we're looking at the Pacific right now, it's Vegas, LA, Seattle, Calgary, Edmonton. The Blues are only two points back of the Flames. <laughs> so big game on Thursday. And then the Predators actually do have a better point percentage than the Flames, and they play against the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight. And we still have the Colorado Avalanche to consider when we're looking at the Western Conference wild card. And obviously those other teams that I just listed are central teams, but can make a push when we're looking at the wild card in the West. So yeah, we're at the halfway point. We still got some time, but there's some, some teams creeping up there. Um, all right, so one of the things we wanted to talk about here, Pat, you and I were texting before we went on air. There's a bit of a conundrum when we're looking at Milan Lucic right now. People have a problem with him being in the top six, but he's got a couple goals in the last few games. That line are outscoring their opposition right now. And I think this dovetails with the conversation around, you know, why isn't Jacob Peltier getting in the lineup? Like, don't call him up and put him in the press box, but... I don't think it does Jacob Peltier a benefit to be on the fourth line. Walker Dewar on the fourth line makes sense because he's got the same identity. He can play the Brett Ritchie fourth line role. Jacob Peltier shouldn't be there. The third line's clicking along. So where is Jacob Peltier supposed to be? Do you take Milan Lucic out of the lineup when they're producing and that line seems to be working right now? I mean, so so I, I, it's it's a weird it's a weird situation because right now. That line with Milan on it, Huberdeau and Kadri, has been producing. And they scored again last night against uh, against St. Louis. And now since they've been put together, I think it's 12 games that they've played together consecutively, they've outscored the opposition 9-5 to five at 5-on-5. Five five. So they've done a good job in that regard. But on the other hand, they also have been outchanced, at least at high danger. Uh, I think it's 24 to 16, all things considered. So, so they, they, they've been okay. They're definitely producing. And while they continue to produce, I think that you can keep Lucic on that line. But I'm still not convinced that that is the long-term fit. I'm also not convinced, though, that putting Jacob Pelche there is the way to go. I, because I... Pelche, and it's funny, you say that you don't think him going on the fourth line is the way to go. To me, it depends on what type of fourth line you're putting together. Because I see, and I said this, I said this on, on Tuesday's Flames talk, I look at I look at Pelche very similar to how I looked at Andrew Mangiapane coming into the NHL. They're very similar players, a little undersized. They are players that they're, they're bread and butters, their hard work, their tenacity, yeah. their hockey IQ, and their ability to play up and down lineups. And so I look at Pelche very similar to Andrew Mangiapane. And Mangiapane started in the NHL on a fourth line with Garnet Hathaway and Derek Ryan and spent half a season there essentially on a fourth line. And he was an effective fourth line player. And they went out there and they just went out and beat other fourth lines on a regular basis. They were a very effective trio. And Mangiapane slowly worked his way up the lineup. Well, if you were to put, if you were to put, 
say, Jacob Pelche on a line with Trevor Lewis and Walker Dewar or a line with Adam Ruzicka and Trevor Lewis or something like that. I don't think that that sets him up to fail because you're not putting him with guys that are completely uh, opposite in terms of the way he plays. And, and then you go right. out there and, and maybe you can toss that fourth line out there for 11 or 12 minutes per night. That type of fourth sure. line role, I think you're okay with. Whereas putting them in the more traditional way that they've rolled out their number four line with Richie and Lucic, that that I agree with. I don't think that that suits him as well. But if you're going to construct or use a fourth line a little bit differently and maybe have it be a little bit more skill or skating based, I think he can work there. And I don't, for a guy with zero NHL games, to just completely reconstruct your lines and say, well, we got to get him into the top six. I A, I don't think that's earned. And B, I don't think you have to. I think that you can use Pelche a little further down the depth chart. The problem right now is that you have, you, you're probably loath to split up the line of Backlund, Manjapani, and Coleman because they are straight up pounding the opposition every time they're on the ice. They're one of the best lines in the NHL right now, and they, continue, they, they drove Calgary last night. They were by far the best trio last night. They combined for two goals. Backlund redirected one. Manjapani got on the board with two points. Coleman got a point. Like That line is carrying this team right now in a lot of ways. So why would you break that up? And I don't know if putting Pelche with Huberto and Kadri is really fair in his first NHL time. So I, I look at it more as I think, unlike Matthew Phillips, who had a whole swack more of pro hockey time under his belt, and I don't think kind of projects the same way as Pelche does and isn't quite the same player as Pelche is, I don't know if a four-fine would have made sense for, for Phillips at the NHL level. I think it can for Pelche, and I think that's the open door or a way to open a door for him to make his debut, maybe even on this trip. I think it's a good point looking at the way that the fourth line would be right now. I think long-term the question would be, is that really the kind of fourth line we see Daryl Sutter putting together in the absolutely. long term? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the big question mark. Yeah, if it's if we're looking at like a Lucic, not Lucic, excuse me, Lewis and Razichka or Dewar, Lewis, whatever it may be, and that's a fourth line that can go out there and maybe he provides that spark and they can – get some work in the offensive zone, sure. Um, how realistic is that? I don't really know at this point. Uh, I do hope we get to see Jacob Peltier get a look, though, because I'm a fan of his game, and that wasn't me saying, like, he doesn't deserve a spot and he can only play in one role. Like, I'm sure you put him in the fourth line, he's going to do okay because I, I like what, what he can do. I, I enjoy Jacob Peltier's game. I've been a fan since he was in junior, so we'll see if he gets that shot I think this whole conversation that we've had about Lucic and Peltier in the lineup, this is just the, the, the issue with the Flames right now. It's an imperfect roster, mm-hmm. right? Like, we're looking at that one line, the, the backland line, and it's just like, oh, they're killing opponents right now, and what else are they going to do? Because you can't break that up, and they don't really have anyone else they, they can plug in and play. Like, this is a, this is a forward group that is missing something right now. Is that your focus? I guess it'll be the last question for you, Pax. You've been here for a while, but I just love talking to you. Is this still the solution? Is this still the, the main point for you when we're looking at this Flames team heading into the trade deadline is trying to get a top or middle six winger over maybe a defenseman to kind of shore up that, that D group? I think for me, it's kind of both. I, I still yeah. absolutely believe that 
uh, another defenseman could could do a lot of good things for this group, and I think it's still something they are and and should be looking at. But in saying that, that does not take away the need for them to, I think, augment their forward group because right now it, it is an imperfect roster, and you're always kind of there always seems to be a little bit of a, an unideal fit somewhere. And, and so right now, I think that you're, you're seeing that and the, the place that people go immediately is to Lucic on the, the Huberdeau line, which is fair. And even though it has worked decently well, I don't think it's a long-term fit for the, uh, for the team. So there's your first, there's your first clue that, okay, they could probably still use or definitely still use another top six, middle six forward. And I think, I think that they're going to, that they've, they've invested too much to, in my opinion, not go out and make an addition. So I think that they will. And I think the only question now is, you know, when is that timing going to be best for them? And I, I think there's a case to be made, a strong case to be made for that timing not to be right now and may still be a little bit down the road to open up more cap flexibility and to further understand exactly what it is you need. I think we all believe that they need a forward, but is it a guy, is it a first-line forward, is it a middle six forward, is it a top six forward? Like, does does a guy like Ruzicka find his way back into this team's quote-unquote top six or I don't even know if they have a top six but a top nine yeah. does, he, does he work his way sure. back into that top nine forward group uh, on the wing and if that happens well maybe you're looking for a different player um, or or does a guy like does a guy like Dylan Dubé clearly solidify himself on the line with Lindholm and Toffoli it's been good but it's dropped off over the last little bit the whole line has dropped off over the last little bit. So all those questions, I feel like there's a lot of questions about what this group is that they have assembled that you want to get maybe another month or so to understand, at least in my opinion, before you pull the trigger on a big deal. And I don't think that there's really any danger of them falling completely out of this. They're a good enough team to remain competitive and, and still keep themselves very much in the playoff mix over the next month. And then sometime in early February where you've got even more cap flexibility and even more of an understanding as to what your group is, that to me seems more like a, an ideal time to pull the trigger on something. And further, does someone like Jacob Peltier, you know, prove that he deserves a spot in this lineup for a little bit longer? We'll see if he uh, gets a shot on this road trip and, and earns himself a spot on this Flames roster. Good stuff as always, Pat. Thank you. Bye, friend. Bye. There goes Pat Steinberg. It was the weekly Pat Chat. Sometimes it's on Tuesdays, sometimes it's on Wednesdays. Depends on how Pat's feeling. Diva. That conversation was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. You can come on in and enjoy hockey and football game day specials at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Pickup and delivery also available at Atlas Pizza, 403-248-3344. We're going to head to break, and coming up next, we'll have Dom Luschishin. He's a senior national writer at The Athletic. Uh analytics guru, but also watches a lot of games for everyone who says, you know, don't just look at charts, watch the hockey games. He'll join us next on Hockey Central on Sports at 960. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Just got an email from NHL Public Relations during the break. 
bunch of quick hits and stats from the halfway mark of the 2022-23 season. This is the highest scoring NHL season in 27 years with 6.4 goals per game. That was last seen at this stage of a season in 1995-96. Pretty wild. Someone should do a story about that. Why is scoring up in the league so much? Maybe Dom Luce has an answer. Let's bring him in on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. Dom, are you going to write that story or should I? You should write that story. I feel like you got a, a good handle on that, and I think you can do a fantastic job, and I can take a nap instead. <laughs> I was going to say, wow, that's so nice, and then I just realized you were saying that so you could, you know, take a nap. Not do that's it. Fine. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, you are bringing you on. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, are you going to answer me? It's fine. It's fine. The chemistry is great. Can you tell that we're friends? Um, no. All right. <laughs> so we are officially halfway through the NHL season now. That means a new awards watch from you on The Athletic. So I wanted to bring you on and start with a Flames player. Michael Backlund is the top-rated Selkie candidate per your model. I would First, I would like to say somebody called me like a bad name on the text line once a name that I cannot repeat on the radio, for suggesting that Michael Backlund is the best defensive forward on the Flames, despite how much everyone appreciates Elias Lindholm and that he was deserving of being a Selkie finalist last year. Backlund is, in the more traditional sense, the best defensive forward on the Flames. Anyways, can you explain to us Michael Backlund's Selkie case in your awards watch here? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to start by saying that the chart says Backlund, but the next like seven paragraphs say Bergeron. And hard. I'll, I'll start with what doesn't matter against him. <laughs> doesn't matter. I'll start. It's with on the chart. He's the first picture. It's Michael Backlund. All right, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay. I get it. I, that's the problem with making a chart first and then using words to explain it. Sometimes people don't read the words, uh, but the big thing going against Backlund is his usage. He's the third most used center in Calgary behind Lindholm and Kadri in terms of quality of competition, whereas Bergeron is not just the guy getting the heaviest matchups in Boston, but in the entire league relative to his team. Like, he's fed the Wolves, and Backlund sort of isn't. And that's not to say Backlund can't put up these shiny elite defensive results under the same usage. It's just that he's not getting that type of treatment. So his defensive results, which right now are probably the best in the league using expected goals and goals against, even if they're among the best, I think you have to take into consideration that he is not getting the the same treatment that Bergeron is. I feel like that's something that might end up changing as the season goes on as, you know, this Mm -hmm. was something that happened in the playoffs last year where I understood why it was the Gaudreau-Kachuk-Lin home line going up against McDavid a lot in the second round of the playoffs. But any time they put Backlund out there, it was a completely different look. So I wonder if that's something that will change, as that line that Backlund's on right now is just probably the best line on the team consistently, now that he's with Mangiapane and Blake Coleman. So we'll see how that changes. Thanks for that, though. Is it, is it really going to be Bergeron again? 
Is it just his to win? It, it seems that way. His defensive results are basically equal to Backlund's right now. It's just that his job is much harder. And when you consider that he's on the best team in the league, probably the best defensive team in the league, it's hard not to look at the the captain of that, the guy who has continuously been Boston's identity and not pick him. It's, it's an award that basically should be named after him at this point. And it's nice to have these advanced stats that have shined a light on just exactly how big his defensive contribution is, but it's also just obvious from watching what a what a force he is in his own zone and in every zone without the puck. It's also hard to look at a graphic with Michael Backlund at the top and the lead image and, you know, feel like I have to read the rest of the story to see that you think it's going to be Bergeron. Yeah, uh, that's, the, <laughs> that's the trouble with using charts and... Sometimes I think, should I even make a chart? But the charts are pretty, and hopefully they inspire people to read because adding nuance and context to these numbers is important in terms of an awards race that will stand the test of time. And I think it's important to dig deeper than just the the initial number. I think that's always that always should just be the, the starting point. And I think in this case, the starting point is Backlund's defensive results are so good that he should be more highly considered because I, I don't see his name, I guess, thrown around in the conversation as much, and maybe that's something that will that will start now. You had him on your ballot last year as well, didn't you? Or did you have Backlund and Lindholm and Bergeron and Marchand, or did you just have the two Boston guys? I had the two Boston guys and Lindholm. I did not have, uh, I didn't have Backlund. I think I talked to someone who had both. Anyways, we'll move on from from this part of the conversation. But I do guess the follow-up question when we're looking at the Selkie and some of these defensive results is because you mentioned he's third in terms of the, the opponent's face or the degree of difficulty he's facing up against. I'm assuming that Elias Lindholm is facing, you know, the toughest competition per year numbers. Are his defensive metrics taking a step back this year or is he, is he kind of holding steady? What, what are you seeing from, from Lindholm in that regard? Yeah, they've definitely taken a step back. I'm not going to lie, I'm not as well-versed because I, when I was doing the article, I had a, a list of the top candidates and he simply wasn't among them. But last year, he he was. He was every month when I did the list, Elias Lindholm's name popped up. And I think he may have slowed down a bit near the end, but he was a continuously a guy who suppressed chances and suppressed goals against for an elite Calgary Flames team last year and this year I think without being on a super powered line it's been a much larger struggle on that front. So you have Connor McDavid as the guy to win the Hart Trophy at this point in the season but I'm curious at least looking at some of the numbers in terms of the game score um, you know Jack Hughes isn't too far off Jason Roberts isn't too far off if we're at a point later in the season or at the end of the year and the Oilers miss the playoffs, even if we all agree that Connor McDavid's the best player in the world, do you think that somebody else will kind of step in and steal the Hart Trophy from McDavid just because their team, like the Devils or the, the Dallas Stars, will you know have finished better and had more team success? Or are you firmly like this is an individual award? He's having a historic, a possibly historic season. He's on pace for one. It's Connor McDavid's MVP. Yeah, I, I really hope that 
the voters don't twist themselves into a pretzel because Connor McDavid's team doesn't make the playoffs because that will not be Connor McDavid's fault. It'll be the fault of all the guys around him. It'll be the fault of a front office that couldn't surround the best player in the world with enough talent to make the playoffs because hockey is a team game. It takes more than just one player to get a team in the playoffs and even the best player might not be able to do it on his own. And I don't think that takes away from the fact that McDavid is still the most valuable player in the league right now. And the fact that he's on pace for 150 points or whatever, I think speaks for itself. Some, a lot of those points on the power play, sure, but he's still a dominant force every night. And the five on five issues, a lot of that is just his teammates not finishing for him. I checked what, how many goals, he should be on the ice for it's around 29 from his teammates scoring and his teammates have scored only 16 and you figure that a lot of those chances are probably even more dangerous than public expected goals models suggest because they're getting passes from Connor mcdavid not just some random guy so it should be a lot higher in that regard and he should have more five on five points as a result and maybe he's he's getting robbed a bit of he's the fact that he's unlucky and still on pace for 150 points I think is the biggest argument to why he's the best player in the world and having the best season right now regardless of what his team is doing around him. I want to look back at the Flames for a second in terms of of your playoff projections Dom. So you have the Flames with an 85% chance at making the playoffs in your most recent projections. I believe those were updated uh, on the 9th or the 10th so these are updated you know daily. you have them projected to finish 99 points, finish second in the Pacific, ahead of teams like Seattle and L.A., who are currently ahead of them. Is this because you believe that the Flames are, are going to – does your model believe, I guess I should say, that the Flames are going to turn it around in the second half and we'll see some regression from Seattle and L.A.? I assume it's maybe a, a combo of both, but can you maybe explain why the Flames are, are still rated or projected, I should say, as the second-best team in the Pacific? Yeah, it's- it looks a little tough right now, especially after they lose so many games in overtime and now that their schedule's softening up, they still lose to teams like Chicago. It's definitely frustrating, but a lot can change in the season second half. And this team had a lot of summer upheaval, and I think it takes a bit of time to, to regain chemistry. But there's a lot of talent throughout the lineup, and once they start playing up to their potential, I think – combined with a, a softer second-half schedule, that this team should start looking like the team many expected from the start of the season, and they should get into the, the playoff race, I think, comfortably. I guess we'll see. It's a, it's a spicier race than I think many people expected, but over the last month, they, they have a 58% expected goal rate at 5-on-5. Five five. They are they're a good team. They just aren't getting results right now, and I think it'll it'll come soon. I think the other thing is that I am not sure the Kraken are this good. I think they're getting a lot of the luck they didn't get last year, and that may come down the second half. And the Kings seem to be living and dying by someone who started the year as a third-string goalie, which is certainly interesting. But I am going to have to sell high on Phoenix Copley for sure. So I I don't know. <laughs> it, it, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I, I'm still taking the flames over those two teams. 
I think it's been interesting to see the the conversations around Martin Jones in Seattle and, you know, fans being like, where would we be without Martin Jones? And in terms of, you know, some of the private data models I've looked at from, from ClearSight Analytics, he's been better than Philip Grubauer was last year, but he is still not particular. <laughs> he's not posting great um, underlying numbers from some of these private models I've looked at. So you just got to wonder when that's going to start to drop off even more and, and the results are going to no longer be there. So that's something for Flames fans to consider as well. Uh, we're out of time, Dom. We spent so much time talking about Patrice Bergeron. I thought this was the Michael Backlund show, but that's okay. We'll try again it's next time. always the Patrice Bergeron show. <laughs> Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. All right, there goes Dom Luschichin. He's a senior national writer at The Athletic. Uh, his data model is all over the NHL vertical at the company. And I think we're still going to say that Michael Backlund is putting together a Selkie caliber season um, because he just is. He's posting the defensive numbers, and he should absolutely be up there, even if he's not playing against the same kind of competition as someone like Patrice Bergeron. That's all the time we have today, and I should mention that conversation with Dom was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Dine in, pick up, or have your game day special delivered. Find out why Atlas Pizza is a 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast, or call 403-248-3344. Now that's all the time we have today on Hockey Central 960. Flames game day on Thursday, once again against the St. Louis Blues. We'll tee all that up tomorrow on Hockey Central on Sports at 960 The Fan.